so yeah, we're starting a uh, new series uh, called You Asked for a Sermon On. And if you remember correctly, uh, a few months back we polled you guys and we asked you what would you like to hear about. And honestly, I was like, really excited because I was like, I don't have to do this series. I'm excited to see who's going to be up here squirming their way through the scriptures and explaining their little things and getting hateful emails and stuff like that. Well, uh, I guess I'm the first victim. So, so in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the topics that you've submitted. And the thing that you, you've asked for this morning, or at least the thing that was predestined for this morning, uh, see what I did there? I'm softening you guys. Uh, um, it, it really has to do the, with the cores of the Christian faith. Now, salvation is a big and very broad topic, and there were a lot of questions that, that came on uh, to our, our desk, and we tried to figure out how to categorize them. And so there are some questions that we probably aren't going to answer in depth. And this morning, I really want to hit on this topic that has plagued the church for the good part of the last few hundred years. Am I chosen by God specifically, or am I chosen and destined for condemnation? Am I chosen to be his people individually? Like, does God say, you have faith? Like, this section is, is saved, this section, uh, 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 sorry guys. That's what we're going to look at. So, pretty light topic this morning. So, um, how do I know if I'm chosen or not? So, we're going to talk about that this morning. Let's, let's pray, and uh, we'll, we'll get into this. Lord God, I need your help this morning. Um, not just for me, but God, for the people listening. Father, we, we praise you. We, we, we sing about you. We love you. We understand your goodness. We know that things aren't perfect here in this world, but we know that your love is perfect. We know that you chase after us. You pursue us. You, you give us the fullness that is in Jesus. And... Um, Forgive us for times when we've not paid full attention to that. Lord, this morning I pray that this would be a dialogue, not just with me but, and not just with each other, but God, with your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Spirit, in, in the most comforting way that your Spirit is, would continue to woo us closer to you, would continue to speak to the places where we have doubt. Where there's confusion, Lord, I pray for clarity. Where there's doubt, I pray, God, that there would be a pointedness in asking the right questions, in discovering you for who you really are. Father, I also know that there's an enemy out here who just enjoys messing around with some of these truths that you hold so close to you. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus against anything and anyone who seeks to take away those words that give life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you remind the forces that be that the blood that was shed on the cross has won this battle for us. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who are sitting here as well, for whom maybe they've been wrestling with things, wrestling with some of these things and just can't go, get over the hump. God, I pray in your grace and in your mercy, God, that you would bring them over. Not my words, but by your movement. Lord, we want to submit ourselves to you. I want to submit these words to you. Use these words, God. Uh, Father, whatever you want to do this morning, I pray that you have the ability to do so. We bless you and we thank you, and I pray all these things in your most awesome name. Amen. 
Have, ever, have any one of you ever uh, joined something or gone somewhere where you realize that there's something much bigger going on than what you signed up for? Me, for anyone? Yeah, no, I'm the only one? All right. Um, and it may not have necessarily been a good thing. Um, or maybe you just sort of showed up somewhere and you're like, hey, someone invited me to this thing. I came and it never occurred to you that something else was going on. Um, when I was 18, I think I turned 18, my, my parents were, I guess, concerned that I was spending way too much free time uh, at home. Like, we didn't have the internet when I was growing up, which shows how old I am. Um, so we, you know, we, I wasted a lot of time playing video games and stuff, you know, Nintendo, stuff that apparently people are buying now for, like, large amounts of money. It was pretty cheap back then. Um, so I, I'd waste a lot of time playing all those kinds of things. And my parents were like, why don't you go get a job? So I was like, all right, fine, let's, let's, let's do this job thing. So I looked into an, I, I opened up a newspaper in the classified sections, and I, I looked at some of the jobs that I was possibly qualified for and some of the jobs that really didn't want to do. And honestly, the only other, the two things that stood out were um, going door to door and selling things. I really didn't want to do that. And the other one was uh, waiting tables and washing dishes. And I was like, how hard could that be? Right? Like, you give people their food, you collect their money, go wash some dishes. You know, I've seen mom do that. How hard could it be, right? Just kidding, moms. It's hard. So anyways, this was downtown Toronto. I loved downtown Toronto. Still to this day, I love downtown Toronto. If I could, I would live there. Um, and so if you remember going downtown Toronto years and years ago, probably like 20-ish years ago, right? You remember Sam the Record Man, Right? Yeah, that was iconic, right? Sad day when they had to take all that stuff away. Um, you remember that arcade, the video game arcade, uh, a little bit farther down on Young Street, a little bit past Eaton Center, right, where all the Asian kids honed their skills, right? Um, just slightly down there. I was excited because the restaurant was there. It was in that place, and I thought, sweet, I love video games. I waste most of my summers playing video games. What better thing to do than to get a job at a place near the video arcade, right? Because I could make money and then spend it. So I, I get down there, but if you remember Young Street carefully, there was also on the opposite side of the arcade. Now, this is, if you don't know this, I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of historical lesson. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been there in a long time. Across from there, there was quite a large like, portion of those places that were of the entertainment kind. Uh, there were strip joints. So oh, they're still there? Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you know that only because of Google Maps. No, you know. So I, I went and I applied for this, this job at a restaurant, which was like three doors down from this strip joint. So my dad's a pastor. I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to like, I'm just going to say I work at a restaurant. So I went in there and, uh, you know, it was like a dark and sort of seedy looking restaurant. I was like, whatever, no big deal. And I, I sit down and I, and I start realizing as the doors open towards the, uh, uh, the other sides, and, and I guess there's like a, a walkthrough, I realize that the restaurant is actually connected to the strip joint. I'm like, I'm like ah, no big deal. They maybe share a kitchen. Like, who cares, right? It's still whatever. And, and I'm sitting down for this job, app, uh, this, this job um, interview, and this, this big dude comes and walks in. He's got a, a, a you know, like a little short, short sleeve t-shirt on kind of thing. And he sits down and he goes, have you ever worked in the restaurant business? I was like, no, I, my parents just told me that I got to get a job. He goes, do you feel comfortable working uh, long hours in the middle of the night? And I was like, uh, what, are, what are we talking about here? And he goes, yeah, we really need someone between 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the morning. I was like, people are eating at that time? 
And he goes, yeah, how comfortable do you feel around women? I'm like, I'm 17, 18 years old. I'm like, yeah, like, I, not like I'm a pro or anything like that. I was like, what, what, are you, what are you getting at? Like, all of a sudden you realize, I came for a job interview, and this is starting to sound a little bit creepy. And then he goes, yeah, I own this entire block, and you'd be servicing the entire thing, including that, that place down there. And he pointed, I said, I'm really sorry. I don't think my dad would love my work here. And I took my resume, and I walked out of there. And I'm embarrassed to this day that I didn't think that when I showed up, there was something much greater actually happening there. This was the days before Google. This was the days before I could discover that, hey, Mr. So-and-so owned the entire block, and everything in this place, including this restaurant, which was three doors down, was part of his establishment. You know, it's funny. I, I was sharing this story because, for us, when I think about this topic that we're talking about, there are a lot of things that we talk about the kingdom of God. There are a lot of things that we talk about salvation for which we miss. Things that are shaped by our culture that we arrive at, and when we arrive at them, we think that it's just about this small little sliver of what it actually is, but there's something much greater happening. And unlike my story, these things are much greater. These things are better. Is that me, Scott? Am I messing that up? What should I do? Nothing? All right. Sorry about all of that. So as I was saying... The kingdom of God and salvation, the thing that we're going to be talking about this morning, many of us in our culture have this idea of what it is, and we're afraid it's just like us showing up for something small, when really God's like, I intended for such a big thing. I own the entire block. I own this much, and I need you to see what this is all about. So to prep this, I, I went to all my pastor friends. I have about eight or nine of them that I keep in contact with. And I asked them some really basic questions, and I asked them about what their congregation thinks about salvation. So I said to them, how many of your congregation would you estimate that if you were to ask them about faith and salvation and what it's all about, how many of you, how many, what percentage would say that it's just about getting to heaven? And I'll tell you, these nine pastors said between 45 and 65% of their congregation. Right? It's not wrong. Like, if you're here and you're part of that percentage, you're not wrong, but there's so much more. There, there's so much more that's actually going on in that. There's so many other things that I want to talk about this morning that I feel like some of you who ask these questions are going to be a little bit disappointed that we're not talking about, that we maybe misunderstand. Like, for example, one of the questions was, can I lose my salvation? And again, like, that's something that needs a sermon on its own. But Kevin and I were talking about this, and the idea was this. If we're asking it from the perspective of how much can I do before I can like really lose out on my faith, you, you're, you're in the faith for the wrong reason. Like it, it, let me give you an example. I was thinking about this from uh, you know, some, some illustrative purposes, right? Like If you got married, and your only goal was to see how much you could get away with while still kind of being married, but kind of... Uh, still doing whatever you wanted to do on your own and like sleeping around and doing all sorts of kinds of things. I'm sorry to say this, but like you're, you're treading on some really, really tough waters there. Right? Again, like this is, this is like a mini sermonette. It's like a freebie right here. Right? Like those are some of the questions that have sort of come up. And the question that we're talking about this morning is semi tied to, to this idea of if God chooses us, right? How do I know I'm one of the people that God has chosen? Or does he actually choose me individually? And what I want to contend to you this morning is this, that 
Our culture has shaped us in so many different ways that we tend to look at the scriptures as individuals. When we read some of the scriptures that are meant for a collective whole group of people, we tend to come at it from a perspective of saying, God is actually saying this to me, Jim Chen specifically. And I'm afraid that some of the ways in which we've interpreted those scriptures, at least in my opinion, is that we've taken them in such a small slice of what God actually means that we've lost sight of the picture of what he's actually trying to say. So this morning, I want to go back to the roots of this stuff. I want to go back to the roots of what salvation really is. What is the gospel? What is this thing that really is so crucial to us in terms of our faith? And I want to attack some of these things that um, maybe we've, we've kind of confused ourselves with. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to just start by opening up to the book of Ephesians. We're not going to look at Ephesians just yet. We're going to, I just want you to get, get that open um, for now. So what I thought is that I would start off by sharing what the gospel is. And I saw this illustration being shared, uh, I think it was by Bruxy Cavey, and uh, he saw it for, by, for some, from some other people, I guess. And I want to attempt to replay that for you today so that we all have like a, a base level of, uh, of where, we, where we start, all right? So give me one second. I'm going to... I was looking for larger chairs because uh, you'll understand why in a second, but I stole these from children's ministry. So, um, so here we go. Here's the gospel message in chairs, all right? And I'm sorry if people are listening online, you won't be able to see this. So just imagine two chairs. Um, it starts off like this. In the beginning, God. God is love. We know this. But in the beginning, God created created. He created everything. And he creates mankind. And he creates mankind in his own image. And he creates mankind to have a relationship, a connection with him. Of all the things that he created in, in creation, this is the apple of his eye. This is the one he loves. This is the one he, he loves the most. This is the one that he, he, he has a, a, an interactive relationship with. And we know from Genesis, it says that when God saw them, he gave them the ability, the free will, to choose him. To say, you know what, I, I didn't create you to be a robot to just assimilate to me. I created you so that you would choose me. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, I, I can't remember which one exactly, says the, the true uh, power of God, the omnipotence of God, is that he would create creatures who could not choose him, who would choose against him. And so we know from Scripture that mankind says, I'm going to take that free will, and I'm going to see you later. And throughout Scripture, we see this God pursuing, saying, no, 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 tell you what, you're going to be lost without me. My image is in you. Life is actually found in me. True life is actually found in me. And every time God pursued, man would turn away. You know, I'll give you, here's what, I'll make it better. I'll, I'll give you rules that you can live by, and, and these are the ways that you can actually connect with me. I choose the golden calf. Okay, you know what? I, I'll, I'll give you kings and judges to, to kind of protect you and to take care of you and to give you an idea of who I am. No. I'll put you in captivity just to show you just what exactly you're missing out and, and, and so that you'll continue to pursue me because I want you, I love you, this is who you're made to be. And we know from Scripture that they keep turning. 
And then, when we fast forward, Jesus sends, or sorry, God sends Jesus, his son. And he lives amongst us. Teaches us what true life is really meant to be. Teaches us that here's what it is to love your neighbor. Here's what it is to love God. Here's what it is to be loved by God. Here it is to to understand that no matter what you've done, no matter what your history is, that God still is pursuing you. And then we killed him. But that's not the end of the story, right? He, he comes back. Like, that's the good news, is that Jesus beat all those things that plague us so that we could, when we come to Jesus, turn and be right with God so that we can come and find what we're actually meant to be in God. That's also not the end of the story. Because the purpose of Jesus isn't just to sort of say, I came to like fix relationship with God, with you. It was to say, look, I'm not just going to live next to you and walk with you. I'm going to live in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to do life with you. Because that's what it was meant to be. You and I were created to do life with God. Stuff messed up in our world. And God's like, "Uh uh-uh, I still love you. I still love this world. And I sent my son so that we could do life together. And you are now going to be participating in me bringing this world back. And it started with you. It starts with you because if you came and asked to, to follow after me, if you, if you acknowledge that this is the place that you want and you choose me, I'm ready to do this with you. I'm ready to do life with you. See, one of the things that I've had to contend with is that God gives us this choice. We're talking about predestination and the idea sort of emerged, I think, in the 1700s where There were two schools of thought. Actually, I think it might have been a little bit earlier than that. But there were two schools of thought. One was that when people read the scriptures, they understood that God, for some weird reason, said, hey, you know what, there's a group of people that I'm going to pick, the elect, if you will. The rest of them are the reprobate, the the condemned. They're not going to make it. And this was a very popular school of thought, and I think it's it's still in existence. People call it Calvinism. Right? And again, like, you could probably preach like, a whole bunch of sermons on, on what people believe in Calvinism. And there was another guy, his name was Arminius. And they, call him the, they called people who follow by, by Arminius' view of thought, the Arminians. And they believe that, no, God actually gave salvation free to everybody, but it's our choice on whether or not we choose him. And I want to tell you this right now, and I'm, I'm not suggesting to you that I'm siding specifically with one of them. There, there are actually great schools of thoughts in both of them. But I think that there's a good middle ground, and I think it starts off here in that when God starts off with this passage that we, we just read, or at least you heard read, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, right, there's a choice. There's a choice that whoever is, we're all invited, and whoever chooses, right, can find that communion with him. In Genesis chapter 2, this is, this is the passage that will be on the screen here. In Genesis chapter 2, this was the passage that we first started talking off with. When God says to, to Adam and Eve, look, here, here's, here's how I want to prove to you that I'm giving you choice. 
because I want to give you an option, an option of free will. Free will means the ability for us to choose against God. And he says, look, you commanded, and God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Go ahead. There's just one tree, though, I don't want you to. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, later on, uh, he's, he's giving instruction to his people, and he says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Is it up there? You can go to the next one. Now choose life. Choose life. A couple more. Later on in Isaiah, we actually saw this earlier on in our year, in, in our next passage. It says, seek the Lord where he may be found. Dean, the next one. Seek the Lord where he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And, our God, uh, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Let them turn. There are lots of times in the scriptures, and these are just a few, where people have turned away from God and God actively par- pursues them and says, hey, you know what, if you just, if you just take notice of me and, and actually come this way, you'll find life. And then John 3.16, our next, our next one, Dean, um, it says, again, you, you've, we read this, the kids read this really well. For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes. This isn't a, oh, if some of them believe. Whomever. This is one of my favorite passages. It's the last one. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. We, ha- we, ha- we talked about this uh, in our last series, about God coming back, and when's God coming back? Why is he taking so long? And, and Peter has this great answer. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You can put this another way. He wants everybody to come and have a relationship with him. But the problem is this. We read in the passages as well. We read in Jesus' parable of the banquet. He goes, many are invited, but few are chosen. Few come. That's what it means. He puts the invite out to everybody, but not everybody shows up. And so we have this understanding, and I want to set this understanding up, that you have the choice You hearing this message, if you've never heard about God, if you've never invited Jesus into your life to do life together, you are now being invited. You're hearing this message. The invite is going out to you. Choice is yours. The question now is this. When we make that choice, what exactly is that choice doing? And to go back to what I started with this morning, is that a get-out-of-hell-free card? Is all we're doing so that, you know, in this cute little illustration here, is all we're doing with this sort of, we can have our little membership card saying, yeah, you know what, when I was four years old, I made a a profession of faith, and I guess I'm not going to hell kind of thing. Is that all it is? And I want to suggest to you from the book of Ephesians that it's not. And if you got with you Ephesians chapter 1, this is a passage that a lot of people also read predestination into, but I want to suggest to you something much different. It says this in verse 3. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 1 here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. To the saints in Ephesus. So, right off the bat, this is not going to one individual person. 
This is a circular letter. It's going to the churches in Ephesus. Churches were not like this, where you, know, you had a stadium or, or sort of a sanctuary, an auditorium kind of thing. These were house churches. Okay? They, they were small gatherings of, of, of several families, predominantly Jewish, but there were some Gentile believers as well. And they were doing life together. And Paul was a very, very big deal. And so one of the things that he did was he wrote them encouragements. And as he wrote them encouragements, there would someone, they would get this letter, they would read it, they would be encouraged, they would be challenged by it, and then they would pass it on to the next house. And the next house would read it and so on and so forth. And depending on how many uh, churches there were, all of these churches would eventually hear this. And so this was going to a collective community. They didn't, everybody didn't have their copy of Ephesians. Everybody didn't have a photocopy of Paul's letter to, to them. So it's not like at bedtime they would pull it out and be like, oh yeah, the Apostle Paul, you know, unscroll my scroll and I'm reading this stuff. Paul's not writing to me. He's writing to us. And Paul is a Jew of all Jews. He understands from the Old Testament that any kind of language to do with chosen or predestined had to do with Israel. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were the ones who were chosen by God to do his work. They were not chosen to be saved, necessarily. They were chosen to serve. Yes, they would reap the benefits of what God was giving them, but their purpose was to serve. The problem was they went wrong. They stopped serving. They stopped being the light to the nations. And so when Paul is writing this stuff, and when Paul is, is writing to the Ephesians, he has with this understanding of, yes, God always worked with a people group. And I want to contend to you that Ephesians is being written to a collective group of people. The Old Testament may have been represented by Israel, but now as he's writing it in this new covenant made by Jesus, and now here we are today reading it after so many years, we're reading it as the collective church. This is being written to the church. And here's what he says. Praise be to God our Father, in verse 3, our Lord Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay, so I'm going to emphasize a few of these words here. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I want to pause there for a second. If I read this and I just stopped at, for he chose us, and stop there. If the verse ended there, yeah, I can see where in our individualistic society we'd be like, yeah, I'm special. He chose me. He chose us. But what is he choosing us for? And why is he choosing us? Does he have any reason to choose us? Is there anything that we've done no, he says this, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What Paul is saying is that God, who chose a people group to do his work in, in the world, is still in the business of creating that people group to do his work in the world. And you, who have made a decision to come and say, I'm with Jesus, I want to follow after Jesus, you are part of that group. The invitations have been set out, and whoever's come in, he's saying, guess what? That part of the group, God, by his grace, you didn't deserve it, but he just gave it to you, are now part of this group. And what did he choose us to do? To be holy and blameless in his sight. The words that he starts using, and as he unveils the rest of his letter, start to show you that it's not just about, I get heaven. There's something much more at work here. My faith that I put in Jesus, no matter how small it may be, yeah, okay, fine, you made a decision that while back. Guess what? The way Paul starts talking as we get, get through this letter, it's an everyday thing. 
We have to acknowledge that. Carrying on. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. I'm in verse 6, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Again, all this language about in Jesus, in him, in the one he loves, all these things, they're not done because you're special. I'm, I'm sorry to break it to you. I, I, I get that, you know, we, we, we live in a world where we want to if, improve ourselves and be all these kinds of things. But the only reason we could say we have faith is because of Jesus. Yes, God loves us. God, God, God uh, you know, he sends his son to die for us, to draw us closer to him. But guess what? He didn't do that because there was anything special with you. He did that only because Jesus and his death allowed him to do that. And I'll tell you something, when Jesus, walked this, when Jesus walked this world, one of the incredible things that we see is that he took that love, he took that grace to the outside. He took it to people who, who the world had pushed away. He took it to people who, who had been burned by religion. He took it to people that, that the world basically said, you're worth nothing. And he says, in God's eyes, through me, you're worth a lot. That's good news. It's not just about, hey, if you ask me to, to become your friend or whatever, I'll give you heaven. I mean, again, like that's part of it, but that's such a small slice. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes uh, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according, uh, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked with him, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of all those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's a lot. And what he's giving, what he's showing here, what he's proposing to these little house churches, and I want to say what he's proposing to us today is this, that God has called together. This isn't plan B where, you know, after he created creation, he's like, oh, wow, they, they, they totally messed up. I, I guess we better think of something quick. He's saying, no, 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 right from the beginning, he goes, I planned for all of this to happen. I planned for a people group to be mine. I, I planned for all of creation to be mine, but I, this, is, this was going to happen. And he's like, I planned for all of this to come to fruition and I'm going to bring it all about full circle where I recreate everything and bring everything back to its proper stature under Christ Jesus. And I'm going to do it through you, the church. So you see, this is not about he chose this group of people to do his work and that's it. And you, three quarters, are destined for hell. It's like he said, look, I love you. I gave you free will. I'm pouring out my love. Jesus is here for you. He's here. He's inviting you. That's the grace. You didn't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. But I need you to respond. I need you to respond to a life of living with Jesus. A life of holiness. A life that is powered by the Holy Spirit. A life that is 
uh, growing in wisdom, growing in righteousness, growing in all of these things to which you had no capacity to do on your own. Yeah, you'll get heaven. But really, the prize is Jesus. In that passage, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In a lot of ways, for the longest time, I used to believe that the gift was eternal life. And don't get me wrong, it is. But the bigger gift is Jesus. You don't get eternal life without Jesus. And now, in my, in, as I'm learning uh, what it means to walk with Jesus, I don't want eternal life without Jesus. Jesus is the key here. And Jesus doesn't just want to say to you, yeah, I'm going to promise you what you'll get one day when you die. That, I mean, that's, that's great and all, but I have a greater calling for your life right now. Salvation is not just a one-time deal when I knelt down by my bedside and I prayed that prayer because I used to think that. Salvation is an everyday thing where I submit to this God who wants to do life with me. Salvation is me submitting to this Holy Spirit who now is given to me as a deposit because when I was invited, yeah, something changed, something happened where he asked me and I, I heard the message clearly and I said, yes, I don't know all the things about this Jesus, but I'm in. There may be some of you here who are sitting here and for, for the longest time, faith has sat on a shelf. And it's sat on a shelf because, you know what, who knows how long ago we made that decision to follow after him, but now we're like, is there something more? And we've been talking about that over these last few years. It's time to dust that off and look at the gift that God continues to give every day to us. So how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that this stuff is true? Well, I want to throw this out to you, and I want to contend this to you, and I'm going to close off with this. If you made that decision that one day, however long ago, where you said you heard the message, you heard someone talking about this Jesus, and it not only made sense, but it was like, you know what, there's just something I can't get rid of. I need to get closer. If you trusted in that Jesus, that Jesus is what's spoken of in here. Hopefully the gospel message that you heard came from the word of God. So continue building on that trust for what the word of God says. That when we first heard and when we first accepted that God gave us the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Maybe you haven't done anything with that faith in a long time. My encouragement to you is this. Continue to seek God in everything that you do, just as Paul is encouraging this church in Ephesus. Continue to grow in holiness. Continue to grow in righteousness. Continue to think about the things that God is doing in this world and bringing it back full circle to himself. How can I be involved? That's the salvation that God illustrated for us. That's the kind of faith that he's inviting you to. Maybe you're sitting here and you've been in and around church for a long time and, hey, I've heard this stuff, I'm cool, I don't need it. My prayer for us this morning, my prayer for you, and I'm praying for this for several of my friends uh, that, that I have in my own life, is not that I would convince them, but that they would see this amazing gift of Jesus and recognize that, isn't, that Jesus isn't just calling us to join a club or any of that kind of stuff, but that he's calling us into this life, the truest life that God ever intended for us. And that God would call them. My prayer is that God would call you this morning. 
And if you are sitting here and you've been going through church and you've been going through uh, you know, stuff that we do here at church for the longest time, and you've never said, you know what, I, I, wanna, I want Jesus to be in my life. I, wanna, I want Jesus, I want to grow with God in my life. If you've never said that, I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want you to think about this, and I want, I'm not going to make like a, a, a public sort of a thing right now necessarily, but come and talk to us afterwards. There are going to be a bunch of people here, I think, after when we pray. Come and talk. Come and figure this stuff out. Come and ask these questions. Why? Because God's invitation is to all of us. And his good news of, uh, his good news of life with Jesus and life in the Spirit is for all of us. And he gives us the choice to accept or to decline. And so that, that option, that choice, is being given to us this morning. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would have been speaking in such ways as to start triggering, to start moving in your spirit that you may find this true life of what God is actually doing and wants to do in your life. Let's pray.